0: Hi there, I think I'd like a table for one, but before I decide, could I have a free appetizer? Let me explain. I'm a gamer. Welcome to TripleClick, where we bring the games to you. This week we talk about video game demos, from the early days of shareware to the post-PT demo landscape, in which demos are rare, exciting, little
1: experiences.
0: I'm Maddie Myers.
1: I'm Jason Shire, And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And hello. Hello to both of you. Hello.
0: hello. So nice to see you both.
2: It's us. Hello. You guys want to hear a quick story? Yes. Yes. Okay. Of course. So uh, for the past few months, I've been going to Trader Joe's a lot. There's a Trader Joe's near me and it's a pretty good grocery store because things are cheap. And they have this thing called Chili Onion Crunch and it's really addictive. It's like Chili Crisp. You know, Chili Crisp has become like part of the zeitgeist recently. Basically, it's like dried chili peppers and onions and shallots and stuff all mixed okay. in oil and like mm-hmm. you okay. scoop it out and you put it on everything and it's amazing. It's like goes on eggs goes on chicken goes on whatever. Sure, and it's really sure. really good.
1: I'll take your word for it.
0: I was picturing you just eating this straight and I was like wow that sounds really intense and like <laughs> it's a intense. make your breath s- smell bad for a whole day. Yeah but... it's like
1: this sounds
2: like a, <laughs> r- a recipe for some wonderful breath. I mean the thing about working from home is that it doesn't matter what your Nobody breath smells <laughs> like. Exactly. Matter. That's yeah. true. Uh, just your yeah. wife and
0: child but who cares about that. All of
2: our poor microphones. So for for like a month now the Trader Joe's near me has been out of it and I've asked them and they're like there's a glass shortage apparently as part of our like supply chain issues oh all across the world Hi. glass is one of the things that's short in addition to like Nvidia cards all being four times what mm. they right. should be right. glass is is short at least at Trader Joe's Um And so I've been calling them pretty much every week like before I go grocery shopping just to see hey do you guys have this thing yet because they don't have any way of of telling whether it'll be on stock at one point I even picked a backup that was like this like spicy pepper thing that wasn't quite as good but was still good and then they ran out of that too because of the glass shortage anyway long and short of it is since they still don't have it it's been like a month this is a story of how about half hour before we started recording I spent $30 to order chili crisp from Momofuku
1: the restaurant because uh, as Google Alternatives in there, <laughs> and it was like this like, is the chili, the chili crisp equivalent of like paying fifteen hundred dollars for a two year old graphics yeah, card on yeah. eBay.
0: Yeah, you got to go pick it up in a back alley. It'll be in a huge garbage right, bag, right. and you'll yes. just do the handoff, do the just enabling the scalpers. The Jason. Well,
2: so what really makes me nervous is that. So at Trader Joe's, it's like four bucks for a jar. At Momofuku, on ordering it online, it's ten bucks per jar. What really makes me nervous is that the Momofuku one will be so good that I'll be addicted to that, and I'll have oh, to keep. No. More and it, it'll be like a whole new. <laughs> <addiction>. <laughs> That's how they get you. This yeah, really, exactly. this whole thing
1: is being engineered by Momofuku. <laughs> I just want to wow. know how
2: they got their glass. Maybe they have a glass black market dealer. They have a connection, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's wow! They're, they're hand making glass
0: it. in the alley as well. Um. Anyway, uh, this is a video game podcast it sure <laughs> where is. we talk about uh, shortages of glass all around the world, mm-hmm. and also if you like the show, or even if you don't, I guess you could go to maximumfun.org/slash/join and yeah. support us, become a member, and get bonus episodes about video games. I want to
2: hear from you if you don't like the show, but you still yeah, if support you don't us, like the show, wanna, especially if you're a you.
0: Max Fund member who's supporting yeah. it. I mean thanks and uh, I hope you I hope you hate listen every week it's like
2: hate support yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what I do I'll when I hate it, a politician honestly. I just contribute all my money to yes. them I'm like damn yes. it That'll I, show I appreciate
0: <laughs> your support and I hope you really despise uh, this month's uh, beans cast which was about Portal with Justin McElroy where yes. he compared the game to eggs one of my favorite parts of that episode that was, good. Good that was a very good. fun one. Good good. Oh, and we
2: can we can announce uh, this month's also the June beans cast which is that's of, course. True, of course, Final Fantasy 6 the game we've been playing this year yeah we're gonna finally finish it that's true and then we're gonna talk about it yes so at the end of this month so if you are out there playing along and you've been playing along and you haven't finished it yet you have until the end of the month to get your mm-hmm. uh, your beans cast play through in that's yeah. right
0: but today we are going to talk about demos yeah what's the demos. deal
2: with this week we are doing a what's the deal <coughs> that's with right of course demos <laughs> mm. um have i told you guys my my wife and i have for like months now have been re-watching all of seinfeld he doesn't actually say what's the deal with that much. i know <laughs> does it he ever impossible. say it seems like maybe one of those things that he never says but he, he, has, he has said, said it, it right? yeah he said it once in his, in his life, maybe, or once yeah. a couple times in his stand-up but usually it's the context of like george yeah. making fun of him and being like you know you're bit with the airline peanuts um, and the what's the deal with um mm-hmm. Mm. which is funny. But anyway, let's talk about <laughs> demos, shall we? Sure. Um, let's do it. Demos I think are a really interesting topic and it's really uh uh quite interesting to get into them, talk about what we like, what we don't like. But first, a brief history of demos. Do you guys remember Shareware? Did you ever own or get oh any Shareware?
1: Yes, I mean, I'm I'm the old man on the show. I absolutely <laughs> used Shareware all the time when I was a kid uh-huh. in the 90s. Uh-huh. Um Yeah, so shareware
2: was essentially the early versions. I mean, I guess there were demos back then, too. But essentially, before there were real demos, before demos were ubiquitous, there was this concept of shareware, which is you get a game and it's on a floppy disk um, or a CD or whatever it's on, and you play the first couple of levels for free, and then you can pay for the rest. So you can just buy the rest of the game after testing it out. This was only PC games. There was nothing like this on consoles or anything. But it was pretty popular back in the day. like a a way that like companies like id software would like go around and like and release doom as a shareware and like try to get people to buy the rest which uh which did correct did it ever
1: sell you on any games no and actually i would treat the shareware as a standalone thing because i was a kid Mm -hmm. you know when when doom was out i was i was pretty young and i would i would take it, I had it on a floppy disk, and I would sneak out, I think I've told this story before, I would sneak out at like 5 in the morning before school, because I could only play it on my dad's laptop. He had this laptop that he had for work that was, you know, the size of a car, and um, (laughs) I would sneak out and install it and play it and then uninstall it, and then get back in bed so that I could like play Doom without my parents knowing about it. I never (laughs) bought Doom because it was like the whole first big chunk of the game. I think Wolfenstein 3D also was the whole Castle Wolfenstein, and then there was a bunch more that you could play, you know, if you bought the whole thing. But almost no one was even really familiar with that stuff because there was so much of the game included for free. My main shareware memory is that because this was basically pre-internet, I mean, there was some form of the internet around, but this was something that was actually handed from friend to friend on a floppy disk. It was shared in person. And you would get, like, I would get a disk with, you know, Drawn in marker, Doom, or sometimes you know you you would draw like the logo as best you could. It was like this physical object that was actually handed around from person to person, and I think a lot of those games. I mean, I know Doom. It really spread, you know, through schools, like kids actually just giving floppy disks to one another, which is way more you know like zine culture, kind of underground album culture um it's just video games <laughs> Mixtapes, kind of their version yeah. of that so yeah, some
2: games what i remember really fondly is that some of these games either because it was shareware being abused or because people were just like copying floppy disks a lot of the games would come with like anti-piracy clues and hints and stuff like a lot of the original um infocom games like the zork games or like the original lucas arts adventure games um would come with like these these printed out guides or clue rubrics that you had to use in order to actually beat the game. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was, if you were just getting a, a pirated copy, uh, floppy disk from your friends at school, you couldn't actually beat it because you would get St- like stumble you would stumble on this part and there was no looking it up on in the internet or anything. So for example there's a game called Zach McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders and to make progress in the game you essentially had to like fly around to a bunch of different cities and at a certain point the game would ask you for like these codes. I think it was like ticket info or something that only came on a printed out thing that would come in the box and so you had to have the box to actually get through the game. Otherwise you'd just be screwed. And some games would include like messages that would ca- like castigate
1: you for being a pirate. It would just like be insulting you. Yeah, <laughs> you it's funny because that and that whole thing is a little different than demos, right? Because that's just more copy yeah. protection. Like the whole like right. there were games I remember where I don't remember which ones you had to enter a word. What's the first word on page twenty five in the manual? Uh-huh. The manual yep. was always kind of tied to it. The best one of those is I think it's um it was like if you had a ROM of I think it was a Dragon Quest like on mm-hmm. 3DS if you had a ROM you could just play the game totally like normal until you were on this ship going to the main island after the intro, and then the ship just never arrives at the main <laughs> island, and it just stays at sea forever, and you uh-huh. just think that something's wrong, you're like, well, I guess I need to trigger this cutscene, and you can't, just because the game knows that it's a rum. But, uh-huh. right, a little bit different than demos. What was cool about Shareware was you knew you were supposed to be playing it and supposed to be sharing right. it, and it was actually right. very easy. They were very small, they fit on a single disc. It wasn't the same as copying, like, a whole Quest for Glory game onto, like, seven floppies right. and giving right, it to right, a friend. Right, right. Not that I ever did that or saw <laughs> no. that that happened when that. I was a kid.
2: <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so to your point earlier, by the way, Kirk, about you playing just playing the Shareware demos, that is kind of the fundamental question at the heart of a lot of demos. Like a lot of, there's still a debate to this day: Are demos worth it? Like, will they actually help sell copies of your game? If you're a game developer, should you make a demo? And so, a lot of people still feel like if if you're getting your money's worth, or if you're getting your your content's worth out of just the demo, why play the whole game? And in a bit, we'll discuss what makes a good demo, but Maddie, I, I'm curious to hear from you. Do you have any experiences with shareware or with early early day demos in general?
0: Not with shareware, but I do remember in elementary school, my after school program had a lot of games that were just demos and that mm-hmm. they just couldn't I guess didn't feel like buying the full versions of I think SimCity, Oregon Trail. I think Number Munchers was the full game. But I do remember like seeing how far you could get before the demo part kicked in was a Mm -hmm. big, big part of after school and also just various people trying to find ways around it, but not really having any idea what they were doing. Those are my main memories of demos as being somewhat irritating because they were a gateway against playing the rest of the game as we Mm -hmm. saw it. But. At this point in my adult life, I think demos are really cool and I'm nostalgic for them, which is a classic thing that happens about anything that you think is annoying when you're a child it <laughs> suddenly becomes cool. And why aren't there demos anymore? That's what yes. I say in 2021.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting debate about whether they're actually effective. But um so yeah, just a little bit more history. So demos were really big in the PC scene which Kirk um is how you you stumbled upon it or you how you kind of uh played through so many of them. Um and shareware wasn't really a thing on consoles, but um demos started becoming a little bit more popular on consoles around the ps1 era and actually you would wind up i think square was the biggest proponent of this so what they did was rather than making demos releasing demos is like a taste of a game well they did so what they did was they would sell you a game and then they would package it with a demo for another game and sometimes it would be like okay we're selling you final fantasy whatever or some popular game that we know is going to be popular so we're going to include a demo of a game that maybe you haven't heard of so you check that out too and you get into it but sometimes and this i love this is my favorite thing what they would do was they would sell you other games that are, were less popular and as part of the the hook the pitch for it would be like Final Fantasy 8 demo included and I remember getting mm. the Final Fantasy 8 demo I think I, if, if I remember correctly I think it was Brave Fencer Musashi I'll have to look this up to be sure um, but uh, uh, that demo really struck me um, because it was totally different than the actual game. Yeah, you know, it was in Brave Fencer Musashi and like it, it, it has all this stuff in it that like makes it feel like a different experience, which I thought was really, really interesting back then.
1: It's kind of the video game equivalent of, come see this movie and you'll see the first trailer for Phantom Menace or whatever, exactly. like, which is exactly. still something that's, that's kind of done yes. today. come see, oh man, it was
2: the Dark Knight uh, five
1: minutes in IMAX before some movie, I don't even remember what movie Right, was. right, they'll do that kind of thing. Yeah, a lot of the demos that I played, there's kind of a, I draw a line anyway between the shareware stuff. I'm, I only just mean in my own memory, and the PC Gamer era of demos, which was a more online time, like that was kind of the later 90s. I was looking, and a lot of the ones that I really remember are from 1997, which was I was still in high school, and that was like a period of time when I was reading a lot of PC Gamer. There was one that had the Shadow Warrior, like the yin-yang with like a bullet hole through it. I just have this vivid memory of that CD. I think I have it up in the attic here. It had, I looked at it, it had um, Shadow Warrior demo. It had Betrayal in Antara, which I don't remember. Fallout, a game called Meat Puppet, a demo for You Don't Know Jack, the very first You Don't Know Jack, Mm. and Warlords 3. So a PC gamer would do, and this was the heyday of PC gamer when like a print PC magazine was still something that people would want because the internet wasn't widespread enough or advanced enough. And you would buy this... It would be, the magazine would be in a bag and you would get the bag at the, usually at the like airport when I'd be flying somewhere, I would like buy a PC Gamer to read on the plane and it came with like a sleeve with a CD-ROM in it and they even called the CDs CD Gamer like it was a little joke like welcome to CD (laughs) Gamer you'd put it in and it would load up a whole like separate interface that they had designed at Future you know or whoever someone the publishing company that that made PC Gamer had designed this thing so it was its own thing and you could click any of these demos like a whole list within this interface that's on the CD and it's like welcome to CD Gamer I think they kind of retired that
2: I think CD Gamer.
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Right it was that was what it really was was uh, S-E-E-D-Y and then they changed it to DVD Gamer at one point which like just doesn't have the same ring to it and then I think they just were like whatever it's PC Gamer and then those (laughs) gradually became obsolete thanks to the internet but that was a place where it was the same feeling kind of as playing those shareware demos back when I was younger in like middle school in the sort of early 90s but they were all really collected and they were promoting the games. Like, I think the publishers were really keen on having their demos in there. I remember playing the Full Throttle demo. There were a lot of LucasArts demos. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. This game, Rise of the Triad, which was a first-person shooter that, like, 3D Realms made, playing the demo for that. And, like... Those did make me want to buy the game. I wound up buying Full Throttle. I think I would have anyways, but it was like the whole first area of that game. It had that killer intro, which that game has like the best intro. when he's like, when I smell asphalt, I think of Marine or whatever the thing is in that song. Like it had that whole sequence and it was just enough to pull you in. And then you learned that that was actually like 40% of the game or whatever because it was really short. So anyways, I think I just wanted to shout out that era, which was its own kind of distinct era, the PC gamer demo era. Uh Yeah, I feel like demos are really good for
2: games that have a compelling story and then you're hooked on the story and you're like, okay, now Mm -hmm. I have to play the rest of the game. Sort of in the way that if you're at uh, Barnes & Noble or something and you pick up a book and you read the first chapter and you're like, oh man, I have to...
1: Take this home with
2: me and I have to right, find out what right. happens next. Which,
1: like, publishers will do, right? They'll be like, and now, like, the first chapter from this person's next book at the end of the book, yeah. you just finished And you'll exactly. read. It. You'll be like, well, it's a I'm going to buy that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um,
2: yeah, that's a pretty good demo. But yeah, no, and then I think demos can be less effective when they're like the Doom shareware that you described. Um, maybe a demo of Doom would have been a little bit less content in there.
1: I wonder, but... though, because... <laughs> They made so much money on Doom and it was this massive phenomenon. And would it have been as much of a phenomenon if it hadn't been for millions of kids like me? Able to just play it. Right. No. Yeah, probably not.
0: not. I remember the Geometry Wars I think it was the Geometry Wars 2 demo that was basically mm-hmm. just the entire game as well and like how. but Geometry Wars was so popular like they must have been doing just fine I don't know but I remember there were demos that were sort of notorious among kids for being the entire game quote unquote any mm-hmm. racing game demo was in that category mm-hmm. as well where it's like well how many more cars do you really need you can just drive this one right. car like m- all of my demo memories are associated with like not having the money to buy a game like they're all yes. from the times of my life when you d- couldn't actually get the game for whatever reason either because you were a child or you're a broke college student playing like, you know, dirt or whatever racing game. And you just only had the demo. Those are my memories of demos is like a gateway. And it's like, Mm -hmm. is it worth it for no money or is it not worth it for no money? Geometry Mm -hmm. wars too, though. That was the whole game. That's my hot tip.
1: Right. And then I'm, and I'm sure we're going to get into this, but there's just been this fundamental change in that now, if you're a kid in that kind of period of time where you have no money, you can just go play Fortnite for free and you can play yeah, as point. much Fortnite yeah. as you want. Like There's a ton of games that you can just go play. <laughs> yeah, like Demos true. don't serve that function for young yeah. people who don't have the money to spend.
0: I guess that is why there are no demos anymore. Or you at least won't. demos
1: of that kind. Because there are still Fortnite demos. Fortnite is
0: the biggest demo of all in a there way. There are
1: demos and they're approached <laughs> in interesting ways. No, actually,
2: you'd be surprised. I, I think on consoles there are fewer demos. If there were demos were never really a huge thing on consoles to begin with, though. Like, which is why we have some some memories of like Geometry Wars 2 and like like a few there have been a few. But in general, demo culture is mostly on PC. And these days, most of the demos you see are on Steam, and a lot of games have Steam demos. Um game I'm playing right now that I'll talk about a little bit more. Next week, called Backbone, which is this indie adventure game. I believe it's the whole prologue or first first chapter is available as a demo that you can get right now. And and that again, because it's a story heavy game, it seems like a really good way to hook people. Um, but there are tons of PC games that I played recently that have demos. And you know what? Nintendo has actually been really good about putting out demos recently on the Switch. Um, you can play a lot of demos. Um, but they've also been. I mean, what happens now in the internet era is that demos are used in all sorts of subversive ways. That there were never ever used in a few months, uh, a, few, a few decades ago. Um, yeah. one of which being, so for what Square has done with a lot of recent demos for game, for big RPGs, like Octopath Traveler and like Bravely Default, um, uh, uh two um is they release the demo and then they collect people's feedback and then they use that feedback to actually impact the game which i think is really interesting it's essentially like alpha testing to to an audience of like tens of thousands of people who check out check out your demo um and i remember uh, they've used that to really good effect like the like bravely default Two. um people had all these complaints about like quality of life stuff in the demo and like difficulty and they tweaked a lot of that stuff and and made it better
1: for the final game. So I think that's really cool. There's also, and the first Bradley Default is a game that I think of here, is there's the way that you'll play the demo and then you get stuff in the game because you played the demo. Like, Mm. it feels like, oh, you're putting a few hours into the game early and you know it's a little bit of a, of a sore feeling when you do that and then you get the game and you have to start all over and if it's just the intro of the game you're like oh great I get to do the mm-hmm. intro again <laughs> but with the Bravely Default demo it was really a great demo I, I don't even really remember all the specifics but I remember loving it and that when you finish it you like unlock some progress in the game so there's a little bit of a feeling it's like nothing it doesn't really unlock anything for you but there's kind of that feeling of well I didn't waste my time and I'm sure it helps them sell games because you're like well I, I mean I've already unlocked some progress might as well go buy it Uh, yeah you already started uh, the
0: video game right it's already half done
1: man kirk you're reminding me of
2: how i had to play the entire like first three chapters of final fantasy 15 like three different times once at a once at a preview event Oh, because of press stuff? <laughs> yeah, once at a preview event and packs. once when they sent me a preview build of the game before the final build, and then they sent me a final build, and I was like, is there any way I can transfer my save from the preview build to the final build? Yeah, that's like, always no, tough. Sorry.
1: That's always tough when it's like, sorry, but your save is a different yeah. save that it's not going to carry. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, and then there are demos. So Final Fantasy VIII, I mentioned, is a demo that changes things in the game, but one of my favorite examples in recent memory of a game, Kirk, you'll remember this, is the demo for Day. Dang- Danganronpa. And so Danganronpa, of course, is... A, mm, this
1: was like the press demo, right? Or was yes, this the, the press downloadable demo. one?
2: Yeah. Oh, no, I think you could download it, too, if I remember correctly. Oh, okay. like fans could check it out, too. Um, so Danganronpa, it's a visual novel. It's like a sequence of murder mysteries. So obviously this it's very heavy on the story, and the story is the most important part. And so what they did was they released this demo of the first chapter where the outcome is completely different in the demo. And so it doesn't spoil the game for you at all because it's a totally different murder mystery and a totally mm-hmm. different like culprit um so you solve things in a similar way because you're still like you so you're still getting to know the game but you don't actually spoil yourself which i think is pretty cool a cool way Mm -hmm. to do it
0: did they say that at the time when they showed the demo were they like it's it's gonna have a different ending or i don't think so reveal it oh that's kind of cool either way i think they wanted to mess
2: with people which makes sense yeah yeah yeah
0: very dank Mm -hmm. and rumpa attitude Uh there uh uh-huh.
2: yeah. i feel like all of us have had mixed feelings probably with like or like mixed experiences with demos that actually convince us to buy a game versus demos that are like not convincing I, I i've seen some game developers talk about how like demos that that their buy-in rate isn't great and that like some i've seen some people theorize over the years that demos actually um turn players off from checking out their game which your initial reaction to that would be like oh well players found out the game sucks um but yeah but people just have a lot of conflicting views on this question
1: yeah i wonder like i think it it depends both on the demo and on the game which is i guess maybe like a boring thing to say because of course it does (laughs) but i'm thinking a lot about what capcom has been doing lately um i think the uh demo for monster hunter rise on switch is really really good because it's just put together in a way that puts you into the fun part of the game very quickly, and I wonder like i feel like that would sell people on that game because it actually removes a lot of the fiddly stuff that you have to learn to deal with when you're playing monster Mm. hunter and really just lets you kind of fight a monster and that's pretty cool and that's also a series that I think a lot of people want to get into and are curious about, so they're probably more likely to go play the demo. And it's good that they have a demo in place that isn't like, here's all the weird arcana you're going to have to master to play Monster And It's just like, this is the fun part, the best part when you're fighting the monster. And then another example that's also Capcom is what they do with Resident Evil, what they've done with the mm-hmm. last few Resident Evil games, which is kind of like what made us think to do this episode in the first place, is I was talking about one of the Resident Evil Village demos and there were a bunch of those there were a bunch of resident evil 7 demos and those are treated more almost like promotional material because it's like resident evil game like a lot of people are just psyched and want some reason to be thinking about it and when the demo comes out then it just kind of gets resident evil fans to be like oh man i played the demo like there's teasing this thing and that thing and they are always a little bit different we've talked a bit about resident evil 7 maybe uh, maddie you can recount the resident evil 7 demo since i know we both played it but um that's a great example.
0: Yeah, I mean, not to skip ahead, but I I feel like the Resident Evil Seven demo in particular was really influenced by PT, which we mm-hmm. haven't talked about yet, but is I would say at this point maybe the most famous demo ever mm-hmm. made. In yes. part because mm-hmm. it never resulted in an actual game. It was supposed to be Silent Hills. Do you want to
2: do you want to describe what it is a little bit? The for ill-fated
0: people? Silent Hills project. Um, <laughs> yeah, so PT was a demo. I don't remember what year it came out. I didn't. I. Didn't look that up, but it
2: 2014.
0: So PT is a, is a horror game demo that I believe it, it stands for playable teaser or playable mm-hmm. trailer. Mm-hmm. Because that is precisely what it is. I think it
1: stands for pretty terrifying because that is also what it is.
0: (laughs) Yes, it does. A game I can't play but have watched many other people play and which has been recreated in basically every game where you can recreate a game, be it Minecraft, Dreams, whatever, because people are still obsessed with PT. You go through a house over and over again. There's a creepy baby in there. There's a bunch of different events that you can trigger that happen according to just which version of the house you happen to walk into each time, even though it's the same house nominally every time. So this idea of doing a repetitive action over and over, entering a haunted house, entering theoretically the same hallway every time, but different things happen, and you do slightly different actions to try to trigger different story events from unfolding, that's something that P.T. introduced that then influenced a ton of other horror games, including the RE7 demo, which is also, it's not just one hallway, but... You are going through the same house over and over again. Um, and in in the RE7 demo, it's like there's an actual contained story, much like PT. I don't think PT is the first example of this, but it was certainly the most um, yeah. like a high budget, high profile example of a demo that had its own contained story that was almost like a prelude to a game that obviously never happened. But in RE7, <laughs> the downside it's an it is. actual self-contained preview for a game that then did happen and it has separate. Story elements in it that sort of come back in that game, but you don't you don't have to play it in order to understand RE Seven. It's fine, but it's it's like it's its own little video game, and the idea of having that be a promotional tool is, I mean, it's a ton of money. Like, what <laughs> that's like an absurd expectation, but it's something that clearly Capcom has decided to do. I I, I don't know um, if the Village demo was as involved as the RE7 demo. So was it long or The
1: one that I played was quite short and I don't I know there was a second one and I'm not sure if it was as involved, but I don't believe that it was only because what Resident Evil 7 did was there's like a film crew that goes yes. and they're shooting a documentary and you're the cameraman and mm-hmm. the whole demo takes place as this sort of interactive cutscene that you're filming and then horrible things happen to you. So it's like Blair Witch style, lo-fi Southern fried horror. And because of its length, It's actually like a great little horror experience on its own because it can just do like it can actually be a more focused horror experience than something the length of Resident Evil 7 or Resident Evil 8. Because it can just be like introduction, meet a couple characters, main guy kind of seems like an asshole. This house seems like a terrible idea. Why are these people Mm -hmm. going into it? Oh, God. Oh, God. It's over. (laughs) And, you know, and like that can it can just be that experience. And that... I think that still is kind of singular, just from what I saw of the Resident Evil Eight demo, it wasn't that. Though it is mm-hmm. still that thing where it's like setting up various aspects of the game, reusing elements of the game. I don't think well, the guy you play as in the demo that I played, it wasn't really a named character, and I don't think there's any evidence of him in Resident Evil Village the way that in Resident Evil 7 you find the videotape that they shot, and you can kind mm-hmm. of watch the movie of the demo in the yeah. game, which is just so freaking cool. And mm-hmm. um, So there's nothing quite like that, but it's the same kind of idea, and I hope that those demos are all... that those all exist, like that those are kind of um, maintained alongside of the game, just because they're kind of essential parts of the experience. Like, they're, it's more than just you know, the self-contained game experience, those types of demos go beyond the game and they expanded into this kind of, you know, meta thing, like a collection of smaller experiences that are kind of essential parts of the finished game. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: I remember playing that RE7 demo for hours with my friends because it was the post-PT landscape of people feeling like a secret could be embedded in a demo and like there are some sort of secrets embedded in the demo like you can certainly find different outcomes but there weren't nearly as many yeah yeah, there weren't nearly as many secrets as we would have wanted there to be but like Mm -hmm. we just combed through every inch of the demo together and we're like you know trading around the controller on the couch all up all night playing it it's still such a fond memory even though I'm like was the demo even that good Or is it just that culture, the post-PT horror culture of like horror games could be hiding anything and like even something really tiny could be a clue about what kind of thing is embedded in this this horror fantastical world. And that just felt really magical at that time and cool. And I, I don't know, maybe that era is gone, but maybe it's not. I feel like it, it could come back. I mean, we talked about this a little bit in the episode that Patricia Hernandez guested on way back in Halloween where we were talking about like Itch.io mixtapes. Like I think she talked about bundles of people like sharing games and there's like a specific horror game demo bundle. I don't know if you two have seen this, but it's like in the style of PS1 demos, mm-hmm. demo discs. And you can like sh- download all of these horror game demos on Itch.io and they're not demos for real games. I mean, I think some of them are, but some of them are just, just a demo and it's like designed specifically to be a demo so there's certainly people out there at least in the horror space who are really fascinated by the idea of a short form prelude to a story and what you can do with that format and also just the idea of a secret being hidden in something is is very is a very exciting horror concept. I
1: think right. It kind of it's like ties in with the whole creepy pasta thing of like, yeah. have you heard that there's this demo for this game that never came out, or like the Polybius mm-hmm. conspiracy that podcast I was complaining about that I thought was trying to be real, but then it was actually just actors like pretending and telling a fictional story and they weren't clear about it but it was the idea of the urban legend about the arcade game that like brainwashes you and turns you into a government you know Mm -hmm. like a secret killing machine for the government or something like those kinds of there's just so baked into horror culture, and you know the the ring even you know or, or ringu yeah. like a, a movie that you watch and like hidden in the movie is like a thing that'll and there's actually a ghost that'll come out and kill you. So the idea of a haunted demo is just right there. It's perfect for it, and it's really that was actually that was fun to talk to Patricia, who was the master of that kind of coverage, even like during the PT days. I feel like she was writing about PT and just all of those cultures that were coming up around it. There's mm-hmm. a thought I had that's a, a slight. A slightly different angle, but is sort of related about demos. That I think that also demo culture feels to me related to speedrunning culture because so many people grew up with demos that allowed you like one level. And yes. Or maybe a limited time to move through the space, and so many kids were just like, "Well, I just have this one level, and I'm not gonna buy the whole game because like my allowance won't allow me to for you know another two months, so I'm just gonna get so fast at this, and then I'm gonna figure out, oh, actually, you can like break the level and you can go around and it wouldn't surprise me, and i I'm kind of just basing this on like how games work and how our brains work if a lot of people kind of got their start or like started thinking that way. Um, in this sort of speedrunning mindset, by playing demos back when demos were a thing, and even now, um, still, still uh, by playing
2: demos.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. an interesting,
2: interesting thought. I do remember some demos that were like it'd give you a timer and you had X mm-hmm. amount of time to do everything you could. And it's like, can you
1: finish the whole game? Like in the yeah. demo. The type. concept of a demo
2: as a standalone experience as like a piece of art that's just created as its own thing is really fascinating. Yeah. Um, it's almost like not even a demo; it's like its own little game in some mm-hmm. cases. Mm -hmm. Um, And oftentimes, yeah, oftentimes in those cases. And really, I mean, uh, pretty frequently you see demos that just like do not are not slices of the final game. They're just like standalone experiences that are meant to reflect other parts of like parts of the game or reflect the tone of the game or something like that.
1: I'm so fascinated by the way that people who make art have now learned the language of selling art and presenting Mm. vertical slices of their art to the point Mm -hmm. where they can create art that is those things like I think about um, Grindhouse do you remember the double feature the Quentin Tarantino uh-huh. Robert Rodriguez double mm-hmm. feature mm-hmm. in the middle of that there are just all these trailers for movies that don't exist and it's like yes. there's that one Eli Roth one it's just like Thanksgiving and it's like <laughs> they're just murdering people and it's like turkey and stabbing and it's just a fake ad well then one of them became uh, one of them was machete which then became a real right, which film. then became a movie there's <laughs> an Edgar Wright one it's like the house down or it's like based on the house down the block I can't remember what it's called Bing! Kirk from the future here. The Edgar Wright trailer is called Don't. It is hilarious. We'll link it in the show notes. You gotta watch it. It's really good. All right, back to the show. Bing! It's so funny. They're all great. Uh They're all on YouTube and you can just watch them. And it's a lot of, like, horror masters sort of spoofing the art of the horror trailer, which is, Uh again, horror. It's, like, yet again, like, horror directors, horror game creators tend to be like masters of their genre in a certain way just because there's like a kind of it's such a specific vibe and there's so much sort of specificity there that they learn it and the horror game like demos are the same kind of idea like creating that sort of what would ordinarily be a vertical slice of a product that's being sold, but it's not. It's just everyone knows what a demo is like, and so they're, they're creating a fictional version of it, which is so cool and so interesting, I think.
2: Uh huh. Yeah, there have been times when I've gotten really into a demo. Recently, I got really into the demo for Delta Rune, which is the sequel to Undertale, and Toby right. Fox, the creator. Of both games released a, de- a demo. I mean, he called it like Chapter Zero or Chapter One or something like that. That was essentially like a, a, a two-hour demo for... What would be Delta Rune, and then there was also a demo for Undertale, and there have been demos for like other RPGs or related games that I've kind of like like tried to find every nook and cranny, every secret, that sort of mm-hmm. thing, which is always fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Which makes a lot of sense for Undertale, which right, is a world that Fong. has so many secrets in it. I mean, it's not technically a horror game, but it also kind of is it's in its own some. way. It's like it's a horror thing. Well, there's some fan
2: theories surrounding the horror, the, the horror aspects game. of it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: so the, the idea of having a demo for any game that has a rich world, like that just inherently is going to bring out the people who are looking for those, those secrets. And then at that point, it does feel like just another chapter and it's not so much a trailer or an advertisement for the game anymore. It, it has a soul of its own. It's its own right. piece of art and it just... Usually it's free, which mm-hmm. I guess is then the risk proposition for a creator of like, well, right. I am still technically trying to sell my game off of this. Should I be releasing this mm-hmm. free two hour? chapter or not well right?
2: yeah and also the risk the other part of this equation is the resources it takes to actually make the demo so like for some developers it's it's pretty much nothing if you're just releasing a slice of your game as your demo it's not super time intensive to to chop that up as a separate executable file but if you're making a demo for example before your game even comes out and you have to like actually dedicate separate resources like the Resident Evil games or, or like some other games we've seen where the demo is out a few months in advance of the game's release date then and it can all be be a time-consuming process. But then again, a lot of these developers have to make demos for like E3 and trade shows, packs and stuff anyway. So it comes to the point where sometimes you might as well just release it. If you're polishing up this slice of the game for trade shows, you might as well put it on Steam also, right?
1: Yeah, there's such a world of difference. I mean, it's kind of like an encapsulation of how different video games can be between, you know, this huge polished AAA game where they're working super hard to make a demo that's playable, the thing gets released on Steam. And when you go look in the discussion, it's all like, oh, I actually kind of thought the demo sucked and I don't want it. Uh And you're sure it's like, Uh oh, should we have even released this? Between that and, you know, a person who is like a small team of people or, you know, who are making a game that's maybe... Nowhere near as difficult to make, and not uh-huh. as as high budget, or and difficult intensive. to make in, in other ways. Yeah, sure, but mm. I mean, like, d- not as labor intensive. Like, this, doesn't yeah. require as much. For sure, difficult and is the wrong word. Um, and then can it's probably like really refreshing to be able to think I just want to make like a one hour thing that's its own thing and is going to just delight people and uh-huh. will you know no one even really knows about my game but I think it's really special and now I'm going to have this weird idea that I'll just put out and like word of mouth maybe will work but I just want to like delight people and freak them out and show them something really cool that'll get them talking about this game and it's actually nice to just lower our scope and think okay what's something we can do that's an hour long using these tools that we're very familiar with on our much bigger game they're uh-huh. just such different propositions just because video games can be so
2: different yeah um or if you're a mobile game developer then you release a demo and then you fill it up
1: with timers that people have to pay to buy (laughs) back well and that's that line right between free to play and a demo which is Uh yeah
0: i feel like the mobile game equivalent is whatever those ads are on instagram but like the ad is just showing a video game that doesn't exist that you can never (laughs) actually play like Uh those those are the demos of the mobile gaming world <laughs> where you, like, see a really cool puzzle game and you're like, yeah, but if yeah. I downloaded this, this is not – it would be a completely different video game. And it's
2: not at all. That's it's yeah, not at that all? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a strange world. Um, Yeah, no, it's – Uh, I feel like more games should have demos. I feel like it's safe to say that. I feel like most games – like, like I, I don't know. I mean, we kind of – so I guess we kind of touched on this, but in general, have you guys – I guess one way to frame it is, have you guys ever played a demo that made you not want to play a game? Not like a demo that, that you got too obsessed with and didn't want to buy the full game because you were just playing the demo, like with Doom, Kirk. But have you ever played a demo that was like bad enough that it made you say, okay, I'm not going to play this?
0: I feel like at this point when I'm playing a demo, I already know I'm going to buy the game. And mm. demos are so scarce that it's not, I'm I'm not doing the thing that I think say Nintendo would want me to do where I'm scrolling through the switch store and I'm downloading mm-hmm. a bunch of demos and then I'm spending an afternoon trying them all and maybe buying one of those games. I don't really do that. And maybe I should, that would be a fun day. Actually. It sounds great now that I say it, but yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Maddie, we know what you're doing after this show.
0: Yeah. I, that sounds really cool. I'll go do that right after this.
1: And it's hard to say, because like of our jobs and because of how well, yes. we've you know it's like I've played so many demos as a professional because you play a lot of demos or used to when there were in person press events uh-huh. and like mm-hmm. those are just coming their own back thing one day like, so it was just like for more than ten years I would have played a demo of every single game that was coming out right or, I've, or I've, you know, edited someone who did. It's like, knew all about it. So it's just sort of hard to say. Back when I was playing lots of demos, like when I first got my 360 and was just like, I'm just going to play demos for stuff. There were certainly games where I would play the demo and be like, oh, well, that was cool. But, you know, I'm not going to buy that game because I'm going to get X, Y, or Z. Um, I don't remember any specifics, but like, I think when I would just go through demos on the Xbox live arcade you know and try things out yeah for sure there were, there were times where I'd try a game and wouldn't play it just like there were times where I'd play a game and be like oh that's actually more fun than I maybe thought it would be mm-hmm. and I'll consider it
2: yeah, well, so, uh, I mean, I guess there weren't a lot of, like, console demos, um, like I mentioned before. Otherwise, like, like uh, there's some games that I bought that I wish I had had a demo for, <laughs> and oftentimes they're on console. And it's like, oh, yeah. man, like, I would not not have, I, 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 I should have known that I should have, like, known that I wouldn't enjoy this. I wish I had gotten to sample it for an hour or something. Um, and it feels like that is kind of missing Uh, I'm sure because the people behind them like, no. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I
0: feel like I've had the other experience, though. Like, I remember the Destiny demo being really cool.
1: Oh, that's a great example. I didn't
0: like Destiny very much, Ah. but the demo was really cool, and I Mm -hmm. bought that game. And... Did not like it.
1: <laughs> no, that's true, though. Well, I mean, I've struggled to like Destiny for a long time. I had super conflicted feelings about it until, like, The Taking King was when I really mm-hmm. started liking that game. But that is that true. Demo, that demo,
0: though, it had that cool fan. Peter mm-hmm. Dinklage was there. It, he didn't sound excited to be there, but
1: he was there. And we all knew <laughs> yeah. who he was. Was
2: that different than the beta? Was there a beta and a demo, or, are you, or the two? I think
1: it's kind okay. of the same thing. We're kind of mixing them. It's like yeah. It was the, the thing you could play that was basically like, the Cosmodrome, first couple of missions, and mm-hmm. the strike, the the one strike. That was where that wizard came from the moon came from.
0: That wizard came from the moon uh-huh. was in there, I believe, yeah. Right.
1: Yes. And that was in the demo.
2: Well yep. so the problem with yeah, the problem with a game like Destiny is that it's amazing when you play just like an
1: hour until you realize yeah, exactly. the next twenty hours next exactly. four hundred hours are all the same thing. And in Destiny's specific case, that strike was actually stronger than the however many three strikes that shipped with the game. That one uh-huh. strike is really cool. And when you play it, I would remember play it like a year later and be like, man, this strike really was super cool. Like it kind of had all the cool stuff and made you really think there's going to be a bunch of cool shit in this game. And then you played yep. the finished game and it was like, oh, there's like nothing new in this game. Like I'm kind of <laughs> playing the same bosses and like that tank was actually only happens there in one other place. Like there's like very yeah. little um, yeah. in, in the finished game because it was
2: designed to be well with online games with online games when demos I mean they essentially call demos betas even though they're not really betas they're actually demos but they're often used to like help servers stress test among other Mm -hmm. things and like balance Mm -hmm. I remember playing a ton of the Starcraft 2 demo back before that came out because that they released a demo like months before the game that was just a multiplayer beta um, and I played a whole lot of that Um, but Mm -hmm. yeah in general I feel like more games should have demos and I think they demos are pretty cool and I love this trend of standalone demos and i hope we get to see more of that Same. stuff in the future um cool why don't we take a break and then we will be back with one more thing
1: hey it's john mo and look these are challenging times for our mental and emotional health i get it that's why i'm so excited for my new podcast Depression mode we're tackling depression, anxiety, trauma, stress, the kinds of things that are just super common but don't get talked about nearly enough. Conversations that are illuminating, honest, and sometimes pretty funny with folks like Patton Oswald, Kelsey Dara, and open Mike eagle. I have this public facing self and then I
0: have my emotional self that tends to stay hidden. It was about finding a way to communicate to
2: somebody that like there's terrible sh- going on back here
1: plus psychiatrists, psychologists, and all kinds of folks. On Depression Mode, we're working together, learning, helping each other out. We're a team. Join our team. Depression Mode for Maximum Fun, wherever you get your podcasts. Maximum Fun is a network by and for cool, popular people. But did you know it also has an offering designed to appeal to nerds? A show for nerds? On Maximum Fun, the devil you say... It's true! It's called The Greatest Generation, and they review episodes of a television program for nerds called Star Trek. They've reviewed TNG, DS9, and are now reviewing Voyager.
0: Hey, Star Trek. My daughter enjoys that program.
1: Well, if she enjoys that, and she enjoys humor of the flashlight Variety, might I recommend she subscribe to The Greatest Generation? Hey, are you calling my kid a nerd?
0: Why, I oughta...
1: Well, gotta go! become a friend of the Soto by subscribing to the greatest generation on maximumfun.org
2: today. And we are back, Kirk, Maddie, It is time for one more thing. I'm going to go first cuz I'm very okay. excited about this thing and you guys are both going to love it. I've been watching I watched a show over the weekend called Mayor of Easttown. Have you guys heard of this? It's a uh, I know all about heard it. of it. It's very become suddenly. a very popular show. It's
0: like in the past 24 hours suddenly yes. everyone it it's just ended. Done nothing but talk about. It. So it's yeah. a
2: seven episode miniseries on HBO, and it just ended, and that's why people are just talking about it. But um, what happened was over the weekend, I went, I was with my family. It was pouring, so uh, they told me we should watch this, and we watched it, and got really into it, and watched it all over the weekend, and it ended. And so it's a complete series now. Um, it stars Kate Winslet um as this kind of hard-boiled detective um kind of your typical like cliche like noir detective except it's a woman instead of a man which itself is pretty cool um a nice little little flip of that um she's like got substance abuse issues and she's suffering well, she's from a lot of grief detective. and what do you expect plays by her own rules but she uh she gets results yeah and... all that stuff all that good stuff and she eats a lot of uh, Philly cheesesteaks and she is in this uh, small town east town in Pennsylvania um, and the show deals with the giant cast of characters a whole bunch of stuff everything from the opioid crisis to grief and um, motherhood and all sorts of interesting stuff
1: lots of fun topics lots of fun topics it's a really bleak show
2: um, and the premise is that essentially I don't, I won't spoil too much but essentially there's a murder and um, yeah. Kate Winslet has to figure out who
1: did it she's a detective so yeah, I'm, I'm like relentlessly avoiding spoilers because Emily's yeah. going out of town this week and she's not super into it and I'm gonna watch it so I, there's okay, like headlines good. that are increasingly getting more and more specific and I'm like no back I'm gonna careful. try to watch be it careful. without
2: learning more um, hmm. be careful um, Jean Smart yeah. is in it and she's amazing and um, a bunch of other really Jean's good
1: Smart she's everywhere these days
2: really good performances really good actors really good writing everything about it is excellent it's just a fantastic show highly recommend it Maddie nice. there is a girl who uh, is uh, is queer and has a queer relationship and she has the same okay, haircut as you okay. she has the same All haircut right. as you so you, got, you <laughs> yeah, will I really mean, enjoy that um, of course she does it's it's a badass haircut and um, thank you yeah Kate Winslet I mean the, the real reason that this show stands out is because Kate Winslet is just a force of nature. Like this is one of one of the best performances I've ever seen in anything ever, which she's shocked me. Because wow. I didn't know how good Kate Winslet was. Like oh, all I really knew her from was Titanic and like um and she was a I, child at the time. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it well, was not like, like but you, that movie. I mean it's a it's a that movie has its pros, but uh, the, the acting is certainly not something you would come out of that movie thinking, man, love the acting. It's like, you yeah. saw like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, really? No, I didn't oh, I haven't great. really oh. seen her
1: much oh, wow. else um, she's really good in that
2: i saw her i remember him in, in that uh steve jobs movie being fine but like i've never seen her like this and i've never seen like yeah. this performance is incredible she she's is a like, great actor yeah. not only does she nail the, the 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 this like pennsylvania like rural pennsylvania accent um she just like is just like every you can't look away from her every scene she just steals mm-hmm. um and it's a really good cast so it's not like she's the only um uh, there are a bunch of
1: other great performances. It's making me very happy that Jean Smart is in everything. I've, this isn't my one more thing, but we've been watching Hacks, and that show is uh-huh. also really great. And she's the lead in that, and is like so good. And of course, she was amazing in Watchmen, too.
2: Um, Julianne Nicholson also is in it and is great. Nice. Guy Pearce is, is randomly oh, in it. Guy
1: Pearce. Um, oh,
2: Evan Peters, who plays Pietro uh, in WandaVision, yeah, right. uh, yeah. is in it. Yeah, just a lot of really great, great stuff. Um Nice. And yeah, it's bleak. So get ready to be depressed as you watch it. Like it's there's some really really sad stuff. It's really great. really sad. Okay, 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 okay. Say no more. I'm sold. But it's great. Where is you it guys, streaming? You guys should watch it. It's on HBO. Um, okay. Mayor of Easttown. It's called Mayor of Easttown because her name is Mayor, um, and she's like the mayor of and Easttown. And it's Mare,
0: but not Mayor. It's like M A R E. M A
2: R E. like a, like a female horse. Because she's a That's horse. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. She's, she's about a horse. horse. She's a... Yes, it's about a, uh, horse,
1: yeah. it's about
0: a horse who's the mayor, <laughs> right. and it's really depressing. Mm-hmm. Yes. She, was on a, she was
1: on a sitcom in the 90s. A horse
0: has to solve a murder.
1: <laughs> it's about yeah. a family uh,
2: <laughs> who gets uh, adopted by a horse, and the horse has yeah. to be their father, and it's <laughs> right, called Horsing right. Around. Um, mm-hmm. Maddie, what's your one more thing?
0: Okay, so mine is a video game called Fuser, which I think I talked about on this show yes. months ago whenever you it is. came out. And I kind of gave it another chance this week. So um, I was participating in a friend's charity stream this last weekend for uh, Palestine and I decided to play Fuser in the stream. That makes it sound like it was my decision. That's not true. Um, (laughs) Our our friend Geeta Jackson suggested that I play Fuser and she guested Mm. on the stream with me and was like, it would be really fun to play multiplayer. And I was like, that's probably true. So Fuser is a game where you are a DJ and you have to mix beats live. Definitely fun to play in front of a crowd, which is not how I was playing it before. Mm. I was just playing it by myself. And I think when I talked about it on the show, I was talking about how playing it, especially during the pandemic, it made me really miss performing and live shows. And I'm an electronic musician. And so if I play live, I am doing a lot of queuing up clips and trying to mix Mm -hmm. things against other things. So there are some things about Fuser that remind me of that. Although, of course... I mean, you can design some of your own clips in the game, but there's it's fairly rudimentary. I didn't love the the pad that they have you. Yeah, I remember in the game you being fairly controlling cool that on with it. a mouse. Yeah. I was like, this doesn't make sense. I should just open up GarageBand and compose some some electronic music if I want to do this. But you can also make mashups in there, and you can make you can like mash up "Call Me Maybe" and you know Smash Mouth's "All Star" or whatever, and it's it's hilarious. As it's one does. Fun. As you do. Um, and that, as it turns out, is significantly more fun for a live audience than it is makes alone in your home with absolutely no one Definitely. watching. Because of course, you know, you've got my friend Gita egging me on in, in real time telling me which clips to add or not add and that's fun anyway. But then also you have a live chat of people enjoying the track or booing the track because you've mixed just an unholy abomination for them. <laughs> and it was extremely fun. And I think that Fuser might be a really cool game. Actually. I think this is a classic case of harmonics, just needing to make another one of these that refines some of the ideas a bit mm-hmm. more. And then I think it could be really great because there are some things in Fuser that I think work super well, but then some of it, like the sort of rudimentary mixing stuff that I mentioned with the pad just needs a bit more polishing. So I, I never know what's going on with Harmonix uh, financially. I, I hope they're okay, right. but it's Harmonix, so one never it's knows. It's still
2: baffling that they're still around, yeah.
0: I know, but I do think there are some cool ideas in fusion Shout
2: out to Harmonix, because those guys are true. And
0: I think... Yeah. And I think maybe if they marketed it in a different way, like if they did some deals with streamers and musicians and like Mm -hmm. sort of emphasize the live performance aspect. like they recently did an update to the game that has more multiplayer stuff where you're performing for other players. And that seems really cool. So I'm kind of cautiously optimistic about it now. And I think it's I think it's an interesting game. So if you're listening to this. And it sounds cool to you. I would say give it another chance, even though I was cool on it before. I think I think there might be something to it. It's called Fuse. Nice. Play it
2: on Twitch. It's on the play Epic Games Store. Audience.
0: Yes, play it nice. Play it for your friends. Play it in a house party now that people can have parties again if you're vaccinated. Do that.
2: Kirk, what's your one more thing?
1: Well, my one more thing is something that I didn't talk about during our Mass Effect episode that I want to talk about now because I don't know if it needs to come up if we do a Beans cast on those games, but um, <laughs> it's just been something that I've been doing a lot of lately and thinking uh-huh. about and um, feeling feelings about, and I just think it's really interesting, and that is <laughs> probing planets in Mass Effect mm. 2. Yep. So I am well into Mass Effect 2. Uh, we did a whole episode about Mass Effect. I, I'm just not going to explain what Mass Effect is because you mm-hmm. all know.
0: I'm playing it too. I'm right there with ya. So
2: you. So <laughs> I don't know what for... Mass Effect is. Can you explain it? To yeah. Me? yeah. Jason so doesn't this, know what uh, it
1: is. It's uh well the Mass Effect relay system is like originally <laughs> created by the Protheans and it's a okay. way that we can do faster than light travel between different star systems in our galaxy. No um so in Mass Effect two you have to go probe planets to get resources. <laughs> there's four resources: palladium, pl- uh, uh, platinum, is it illyrium, aluminum, something like that. that sounds and right. Then, and then there's element zero. There's the I one, the two P ones, and element zero. And th- there's so many things about this mining. Game, This like probing game that are so incredibly well done, despite the fact that like overall it's this totally brainless like lizard brain thing that's completely degenerate and disgusting. And I find it so fascinating and so appealing and I love it so much on one level and like hate it so much on another level. It's got to be, like, one of the most divisive things about Mass Effect 2. Just because I was looking around, I was, like, Googling. um, Because I kind of had this memory that there was an indie game that was just the planet probing from Mass Effect 2, like, (laughs) as its own game. And I was trying to, I was, like, just really quickly trying to find it before we recorded and couldn't. But I just Googled it, and there were so many articles, mostly from back in, like, 2011, 2012, that were, like, the probing is the worst thing. It sucks so much. What a time sink. It's so stupid. And I just, I didn't feel that way at the time. I remember just being, like, I don't know, I kind of, like, I kind of like doing this like in between, you know, story missions and big elaborate Mm -hmm. set pieces and conversations. You just go and there's a planet and the planet just sits in the middle of the screen and you rotate it with one thumbstick and then you move a little crosshairs around while holding down the left trigger to scan. Your controller starts to vibrate and there's a little Mm -hmm. like... Sort of uh, seismograph a over on the right effect uh-huh, almost uh-huh. when
0: you're when you're hitting in an element of some yes. kind yeah you get it starts rewarded. to pick up
1: and it's like it's like a big metal detector
0: so yeah kinda yeah yes
1: the audio video um, and rumble design of this thing is so fucking good that it, it's like dangerous um there's a yeah the way that it moves the way that it jumps when different things spike in different areas you have to kind of move your thumb around your left thumb while you're holding the trigger to scan and then like it makes a different sound depending on the element so it's like and then it's like and it's like and then also, <laughs> on top of all of this, um, the three that you're looking for are really common, the I and the two P's. But then mm. element zero is really uncommon. because yeah. And you only need that for like biotic stuff and certain upgrades. So then sometimes you'll be looking at a planet and it's like, like it'll start making the element zero sound. And you're like, oh, shit. We got an element zero planet. And I just... <laughs> when you press the trigger to fire a probe, um Edie is like, you know, probe fired or whatever, probe away, and it it gets it shoots out in like an arc. It's so satisfying looking. The whole screen, um the the focus on the planet jumps when you shoot. So like the HUD stays put, but the planet like shimmers for a second. There's like an impact. And the rumble is like perfect. Everything about it is like so lizard brain appealing. And I just will put on a podcast and like Just go probe planets, man. Like, sometimes you find side missions while you're probing. Like, you know, it'll be like uh, anomaly detected and then you go and land. And there's some little fun side stories you can uncover. I'm definitely going to, like, probe every planet in this game just to find all of those. Because I think I found them all last time I played, but I don't remember them. But some of them are pretty cool. But even when I'll find an anomaly, I'm like, okay, I'll come back to that. I'm going to keep probing, though. I'm probing all day. I'm been probing for an hour, just listening to whatever podcast. Probe and probe and I, I don't like always listening to podcasts because I do like the audio. But anyways, I just want to say that my name is Kirk Hamilton and I like to probe planets in Mass Effect 2, and that's okay. Damn it, it is a good part of that game and a nice way to break up the rest of the game, uh, even if it is a little bit too much fun. So, Kirk, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you yeah. for finally owning here. who I am. <laughs> yeah. I think
0: I'm with you. I I haven't gotten full into the probe zone in this playthrough yet, yeah. but I remember having that experience the first time around when I was just playing it on Xbox and just lying on my couch. This was, this was a pre-podcast era, or at least before right. I was listening to podcasts. So I was just silently alone in my home probing planets, and I do remember probing a bunch of planets in a row and just really being like, "This is mm-hmm. mindless this is nice. drudgery," and yet. Yep. I can't seem to stop myself from probing yeah. another planet. Yeah. But I I don't know if it that's good or bad. It might be bad.
1: It, yeah. <laughs> it kind of has no place in the game and yet as a way to break things up, it's kind of kind of works. Like a, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's yeah, I have mixed feelings about it, but I I just when I'm doing it, I'm loving it.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Probe those planets, Kirk yeah. and yeah. Probe those planets. Yeah, All indeed. right. I think that is it for this week's episode, Probes and Demos aside. It is time to say goodbye and that we will see you all next week yeah see
1: you all next week bye triple click is produced by jason schreier maddie myers and me kirk hamilton i edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music our show art is by tom dj some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration you can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes